Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Again, say it with me. Fight the ites. Fight the ites. There's a story of an attorney, and she had a client. This client decided that she was going to rent a mattress. She was going to rent a mattress. Sounds pretty absurd, doesn't it? Well, she decided that this was a worthy investment, so she made the investment in renting a mattress. Well, she found bed bugs on this mattress. Everybody say, just stop. I'm going to keep going. Sorry. This woman who rented this mattress found bed bugs on this mattress, and you can ask the question, What did you think you were going to get if you rent a mattress? But I digress. So she rents this mattress and finds bed bugs on it. Well, she gets in touch with this attorney. And the attorney tells her, get this mattress out of your house. She was wanting to sue for damages or whatever the the, the cost was for the mattress because she bought it and invested in it. And here she is with the mattress she rented with bed bugs in it in in her home. And so the best piece of advice that this attorney could conjure up was get rid of the mattress. If you don't want bed bugs infesting your house, get rid of the mattress. It's not worth it in the end. Well, the lady who rented the mattress decided, no, I'm not going to get rid of this mattress. I'm going to keep it. The advice to get rid of it when it was a small problem was overlooked. And so at the end of this client-attorney relationship, her entire house was infested with bed bugs. And everybody say, ooh, that's disgusting. But the value in what I'm trying to tell you tonight is at the beginning, the problem seemed insignificant. But in the end, what was manageable at first, became out of control to the point where she had an infestation of bed bugs. What was ignored in the beginning, little insignificant bed bug, became an infestation which was out of her control in the end. I'm getting somewhere, I promise. The verses we read in Judges describe the time of history in Israel When Joshua had passed away, the conquest of Canaan to get the children of Israel through the wilderness to the promised land had come to a conclusion. They have arrived. They are in the promised land. And the nation of Israel decided, I'm not going to drive out the Canaanites entirely. We're going to go to battle once we get strong enough But we're going to leave them in the land and we're going to let them live there. And as a matter of fact, we're even going to put them under tribute. We're going to make money off them. It makes sense. But what started off as a little insignificant problem. Throughout the chapters of Judges, we find that this small little insignificant ite issue from the beginning became a much more unmanageable, uncontrollable problem in the end. There are things in our lives, young people, right now that may look small and insignificant. But should you leave it be, 
you will find out sooner than you'd like. That, 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 that little insignificant thing that you think you have control over will one day have control over you. Those are the ites that we're talking about tonight. Those nations that Israel were facing in the land that God had promised them, they let live there and let reside there and let dwell there and didn't completely drive them out. And what was a small problem at first, in the end, these nations were putting them in bondage and in slavery. The things in our lives that I would like to describe to you as ites tonight are addictions, lusts, personality problems, anger, jealousy, music, relationships, what we watch, our friendships, our relationships, and our thoughts, and etc. and etc. These little ites as young as the young generation seem very insignificant when it's just a, every other month you give in. Once a year I'll dabble in this and that. I only drink alcohol once a month. What's the big deal? I'm telling you, young person, those little ites that you think you've got control over now will one day control you. They will one day be the boss. They will, no alcoholic ever took one drink and said, I've got this under control. This is going to be... They, they, they always said that. They say, I can just dabble in this and control it. Well, looking at them today, they can't take a drink without binging. That was never a part of their plan. Addiction was never part of their plan. Those little ites, my friend, those little ites will get you in the end if you do not drive them out entirely. We read in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. I could stop that verse right there and preach on that because that is such a powerful, infallible statement. But I, I, I continue to what God says later when he says, to whom, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. God has made us kings and priests. God has made us into the position of dominion over the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and over the pride of life. He has given us dominion over sin, over the devil, over hell itself. But when he calls us kings, you cannot call yourself a king if you have been overcome. You can't call yourself a king if you have been dethroned by something. That little peasant that keeps coming to you on your kingly throne that God has given to you that keeps bothering you and keeps nitpicking you and you think you've got it under control will one day overthrow you. You can't be a king if you've been overthrown. Some of us have been overthrown. Some of us have been tossed off the throne that, of, of, of authority that God has given to us through his name and it all started with a little ite. It all started with a little problem. That got bigger than what we could control. We read in the verses that we read tonight in Judges chapter 1 verses 27 through 34. That the Israelites made the decision to live with these nations. Rather than putting in the effort of driving them out entirely. The ites that we're talking about tonight. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1. That they are the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites. Sounds like parasites. 
I don't know. Maybe God knew what he was doing. I like to think that sometimes. Praise God. Hivites and Jebusites. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, God goes through these nations and he says, When I bring you into the land which you go to possess, and I cast out these nations from before you, I want you to conquer them and utterly destroy them. Does that sound like anything like what the Israelites did? Don't answer that out loud. But no is the answer. Doesn't sound like anything that the Israelites decided to do in Judges chapter 1. God told them, when you get to this land, I don't want you to live with them. I don't want you to, 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 to make deals with them. I don't want you to, to have them in your back pocket to work for you or you've got a good business relationship with them. Or that girl's cute, I want to marry her one day. I don't want you to have any fellowship with these nations. God instructed the Israelites to completely destroy these nations and to, to drive them out of the land. And it begs the reasonable question, why would God ask that of them? Sounds kind of mean. Sounds kind of harsh. These people were living there to begin with. But you read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 4 through 5, that God gives the answer. If you let them live with you, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And so at that point, my anger will be aroused against you and I will destroy you if you do not destroy them. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. And then God goes on, and when he describes it in verse 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 7, he tells the Israelites, don't make any covenant with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. God knew that by living with these nations the Israelites would one day be influenced to stray from God. He knew that if they lived with these nations and fellowshiped and made covenants and, and married them and, 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 and gave their sons to be married to them and gave their daughters to be married to their sons, that one day, one day, one day sooner than they knew it, that those nations would overcome them and take them away from God take them away from Jehovah and influence them in the opposite direction. <clears throat> God knew that if they did not conquer these ites, per se, that one day they would be conquered by them. Numbers chapter 33, verse 55, God instructs them again that if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those that remain among you shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your side. I don't know if you've ever had dust blown in your eye, but it couldn't be more annoying. It couldn't be more just obnoxious to deal with. Your eyes start watering, blurred, blurred vision, you can't see things the way that they are, and it's just annoying. I don't know many of you country folk that have ever played manhunt in the woods. Some of you may not even know what that is. I, I'm sorry for you. But if you've ever got a thorn in the side that poked you, it is the most annoying, painful, irritant thing ever. God describes these nations like such. If you let these remain forever, as long as they reside here, they will be an irritant and they will distract you from following the path that I have set before you. They will deter you from the path that I have 
commanded in my word to get you to the blessing of the promised land, to get you to experience the blessings of living in the land flowing with milk and honey. But here are the Israelites in Judges chapter 1, residing in the land of promise, yet they're allowing these nations to live with them. Friend, I don't want the enemy sharing ground that God has given to me. I don't want the devil walking where I am walking. I don't want the devil walking on what God has given to me. I'm not going to let him just, 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 you know, crash on the couch at my house. I, God has given me that house. God has given me the blessing. And I don't want to throw my pearls to the swine, as Jesus described it. I'm not going to give the inheritance that God has given me through his precious son, Jesus Christ, to Satan and to hell itself to just trample and walk all over. That's exactly what the Israelites did. It bothers me when I read this that the Israelites did not care enough to drive these nations out. God had given them this. God had led them to the wilderness. He had brought manna down from heaven. They, they, their clothes didn't wear out in these years of wandering to the promised land. They saw the Jericho walls fall down. They saw the miracles, the serpent on the bronze pole. And here they are just casting off the blessing of God to let these nations just settle there. Friends, some of you, the devil and, and, and hell are just crashing on your spiritual couch. God has given you a plan, a destiny, a promised land for your life, a purpose, but yet you allow the enemy to dwell and follow you into your purpose. You'll never experience the fullness of what God has for you as long as the devil is sharing it. Praise God. We learn in Judges that the Israelites struggled with the ites to the point that they had to put these nations in servitude. In other words, that they were working for the Israelites and they were paying the Israelites money to live there. Let me break this down in real life terms because the Old Testament is the New Testament revealed. Praise God. We make these little ites work for us all the time and we justify ourselves in doing so. But you might say, Caleb, what does that look like in my life? Well, if I were to tell you, I'll just drink at, one, at this party so I don't lose my friends. I'm justifying myself in keeping this little ite around. I'll watch I'll, and I'll go to this website to keep myself from doing something I shouldn't do before marriage. Is that clear? We're making things work for us to the point where we feel good about just having this little ite around because it's keeping us from the bigger sin. Praise God. Does that make, is, is the room clear here? We're moving in a direction where we all of a sudden start justifying these little ites in our lives. It's just, you know, they're just, they're, they're not the real thing. We can just pass it off. It's, it's never going to get out of control. But friend, let me remind you of what happened to the Israelites. They said, we're not going to do it. We're going to obey God's commandments. But as soon as they get in the promised land, they let these ites live with them. And that little tiny thing that they thought they could control at the beginning, all throughout the book of, the book of Judges, started controlling them and, and, and reigning over them. Those little ites from the beginning, those little things that were insignificant, all of a sudden throughout the book of Judges, we find that the nations that used to work for them are now putting them in slavery, now putting them in bondage. 
All the time we are convincing ourselves that we can make these ites work for us. But God did not say to make them work for us, but rather to drive them out completely. We find that later in the book of Judges that the same nations they made work for them took over the nation of Israel. Just for a few examples, in Judges chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible tells us, So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of the Moabites, 18 years. Can I tell you, working for the enemy any amount of time, if it be a second, is too long? Being in bondage for a second is too long. Being in chains and serving and, 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 and being beaten up and, 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 and burdened down by hell for just a second is too long. I want to be free because that is what Jesus Christ purchased for me on the cross. Why are we living in anything less than 100% total deliverance? Let me, let me, I'll break off here. There's so many people now preaching deliverance and all of these deliverance ministries. Can I tell you, the greatest deliverance ministry was Jesus Christ on the cross. I don't need to go to some seminar or some great conference to get deliverance. Friend, I can hit my knees and find 100% deliverance at just the name of Jesus. I don't know where we got off in thinking we've got to go to seven different small groups and seven different conferences and have this pastor lay hands on me and tithe this much to get deliverance. Friend, Jesus didn't make it complicated, but he said, in the day you call upon my name, you will find me. And friend, I have called upon the name of Jesus. I didn't find 50% deliverance. I didn't find 75% deliverance, but I found deliverance for 100% of the chains that I was in. I didn't have to go to Jesus for my alcohol addiction and then have to go somewhere else for the other problems that I had in life. It was, uh, uh, um, I, don't, I don't know how I would word it, it was, a, it, it, it was just a one-stop shop, I would say. Calvary is a one-stop shop, but don't stop there just once, friend. You can find everything you need at the cross. You can, the, the, the longer you walk in life, you will find that it, it, it didn't just, it, it's not just good enough to go one time, but every single day that the things pop themselves up and, and you struggle with things. But friend, I'm here to tell you today, the cross is always open and looking for customers. Amen. And it's free, praise God. And it's free. We read in Judges chapter four, verses two through three. That the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. I want to give that to you in, in a different translation. And the Lord allowed them to be sold into the hand of the Canaanites. For this king, uh, Jabin, had 900 chariots of iron. And 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. The children of Israel were constantly oppressed and ruled in their land of promise. In the land that God had promised them, here are the children of Israel serving another nation. Serving the nation that they once had under control. But because they didn't drive them out, here they are in their destiny. In the land of flowing with milk and honey. Serving a king that does not care about them. For 20 years they dealt with this. For 18 years they dwelt with another king. For countless number of years they dwelt with other kings that rose up from these nations that they failed to drive out. Do you hear me, young person? You have to drive out the ites. You have to drive them out before they drive you out of your land of promise. Don't think that just because God promised it to you just doesn't mean that you can live as the devil and still receive the blessings from God. 
There are contingencies with the blessing of God. There's always an if-then statement with the blessings and with the curse. If you obey my commandments, then you will walk into the land flowing with milk and honey. If you disobey the commandments, then you will experience the curse. There's a contingency, a conditional statement as they say. What, a, what was a small struggle in the first place soon became a stronghold. And to get into the crux of this message, I want to tell you, an unresolved childhood or teenage struggle will one day become an adult stronghold. There's a, a lot of adults trapped in a stronghold from hell. But when they were teenagers, it was just a little struggle. They said, I'll deal with this one day. I'll get over it once I'm married. Ever hear that excuse? I'll stop once I'm married. Once I get and graduate high school and I don't hang out with those friends anymore, I won't drink anymore. The same people that said that are, are constantly uh, um, battling addiction, are constantly depressed, are constantly ang full of anxiety, are constantly suicidal because they let one little ite just reside. Just reside. And it worked for them for a little bit. And it worked for them. They got popularity. They got friends. They got relationships. They got all of these things that the world can offer. But one day, the devil said, it's payday. And all of a sudden, that little childhood struggle that you experienced became an adult stronghold. Friend, it will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your relationship with your kids one day. It will destroy your home. It will destroy your career. It will destroy everything that God has given you because you let a little ite crash on your couch. When God had a plan for you to grow up and walk in the blessings of God, here you are dealing with the stronghold that used to be just a little struggle. Used to be just a little catch of the eye. That's how the devil works. He'll put something in your peripherals. And the moment you look at it, he goes, I got you. That little light right there. It's a little light. That little thought, that little thought that crept in your mind as a teenager. If you do not deal with it at the cross of Calvary, if you do not deal with it one day, one day that little light's going to be bigger than it was when it first saw you. Am I preaching all right tonight? An unresolved childhood struggle will become an adult stronghold. There's a lot of people that said it's just a little struggle, I'll deal with it later, that are now not here because that struggle turned into a stronghold and took their lives. That's what the enemy wants. He doesn't just want you in chains. He wants your life. And it starts with a little ite. It starts with just a little ite. Judges chapter 3 verse 9 tells us, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. Thank God that there is a good ending to, to, to this story. Praise God. Thank God that God didn't just let them just be defeated and overwhelmed and overcome by these nations. But the moment the nation of Israel repented and turned to the Lord and lifted up their voice to Him, God raised up a deliverer. Every single time God raised up a deliverer. It was not, I'm fed up, I'm done. You're not getting Samson. It was every single time they repented and turned from their sins, God raised up a deliverer to deliver them from the nations, those little ites. As Christians, God has called us to be deliverers. He has called us to be judges, to be champions, to go out into the world and to drive out the ites from our lives, from our homes, from our families, from our friends. We were not commanded to live with these ites, but to have dominion and authority over them. Jesus Christ, I heard a quote the other day that really stuck with me. 
I forget who said it. It might have been David Wilkerson. It might have been some other wise pastor from old, from old. But he said, man has found a way to conquer space, but has not found a way to conquer an addiction. And it stuck with me. We can do one giant step for humanity, whatever the saying was, but yet we can't conquer a little addiction. We can do all of this crazy stuff with science. We can have the Hubble telescope that can see light years and light years and light years away, yet we can't stop an addiction. We can't stop those little ites from controlling us. Friend, I'd like to tell the person that says that there is no solution to addictions, go to the cross of Calvary and you will find deliverance, praise God. We were not commanded to live with these ites, but to have dominion and authority over them. Jesus Christ is the great deliverer. Just like Pastor Josh preached uh, a few months ago, the last judge. Samson was the last judge in the book of Judges, but we read in Revelation that the last days when, when we are reigning with Jesus, that Jesus Christ himself is going to be the last judge. Jesus is the great deliverer. When nobody called out and cried out to the Lord, God sent Jesus. When nobody cried out and repented, God sent Jesus and said, you deliver them, my son. Nobody else could break themselves from the cycle of sin that we so read that was illustrated in the book of Judges. Jesus came down as the judge and said, I will deliver my people, not from an ite, but from the hell itself and from the Satan and from Satan and from sin. For we're not dealing with little nations today. We're dealing with little sins that seem insignificant. But friend, if you don't let the great deliverer deal with that Little issue, it will control you and rule your life one day. It will rule your life one day. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has delivered us from that cycle of sin. We don't have to live with those ites anymore. But Jesus came and broke hell, death, and the grave so we can go free. But Christians live with these ites and just say, oh, it's a generational curse. Oh, it's just something my mom did, all my family did. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ broke that. I don't care what your parents are. You do not have to be that way. I Go on. God has given us authority over the ites through the name of Jesus. James so eloquently writes that even demons believe and tremble at the name of Jesus. They're not just deterred and walk the other direction, but they have to bow at the name of Jesus. That demon of alcohol has to bow at the name of Jesus. It has to slide under the throne and look up and shield its eyes from the glory of the divine Son of God. It cannot bash, it, it cannot blush, it cannot latch on to you for longer than you allow it. But friend, I'm here to tell you tonight that there is one cure and that cure is the righteous blood of Jesus which is able to deliver you and set you free from here on out to the day you die. You do not have have to be bound you do not have to live with those ites Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 through 10 says therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and has given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven of those on earth and of those under the earth friend if it's got a name it's got a knee and it's got a bow it has to bow at the name of Jesus it's not just guesswork 
when I speak the name of Jesus. Things happen. Things change. Whenever you get the, the boldness to open up your own mouth instead of saying Jesus in your mind and you open up your mouth and you say that holy name that demons fear and tremble, you will experience breakthrough. You will experience freedom like you have never experienced before. It's in the name of Jesus. Through the name of Jesus, we have the authority to drive out those ites. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Friend, we've got mighty weapons through God. We are not scrambling around trying to learn how to fight the devil. Friend, God has given us the weapons of the Spirit to combat those ites, those little addictions. But failure to do so results in defeat. Friend, if you don't fight, you will be defeated. It's not an option if whether or not you're going to fight, you can just opt out and sit on the sideline because there's going to come a day when those little ites of, 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 of addiction, those little ites of struggles that your parents dealt with show up at your doorstep and said, I've got your name and I've got your bloodline and I'm going to get you too. Friend, you have to learn that you have weapons that are not of this world, but they are mighty in God to the point where every stronghold is broken down, every chain is broken and every captive is set free. You have something that the world can't offer. Greater than any atom bomb or nuclear weapon or nuclear warhead, you have weapons that are mighty to the point where addictions are broken. Amen. Has anybody experienced that in their lives? Or am I the only one, praise God? Hallelujah. Then Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, the Bible tells me, and I've, when I read this verse, I just couldn't look over it and, because the generation that walked into Israel, that let the Canaanites live at, with them and brought them in servitude, that generation was not the generation that experienced bondage. The generation that experienced bondage was the children of the Israelites that they had with the, with the other nations. They were the children of the generation that allowed them to live. In other words, this generation didn't do anything to deserve it. This was the world I was brought up in. They just were here. I couldn't do anything about it. And the Bible tells us in Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, that the Lord left these nations that he might test Israel by them. That is all who had not known any of the wars of Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. At least those who had not formerly known it. So in other words, this generation that is dealing with these ites that are now controlling them were not the ones who allowed them to live. But God allowed these nations to grow up and raise up because of the Israelites' disobedience to teach this next generation, you have to wage war against them. You can't just let them live. You have to learn 
through Gideon. You have to learn through Jephthah. You have to learn through, 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 through Shamgar and Othniel. And you read in the Bible, when you read the names of these, ju- of these judges, you know what the Bible says? Jephthah the son of, Gideon the son of, Othniel the son of, Shamgar the son of, uh, um, Deborah or, or, or uh, Barak the son of. You read that they are the son of the generation that allowed them to live. And here is this younger generation working under bondage, working under slavery. Can I tell you, young person, you may not have grow, grew up in the environment where all of the ites are conquered like some church kids do with praying parents and a praying dad and a praying mom that both work in the ministry. But friend, you're facing ites that you didn't let stay there and you're wondering and you're asking, Pastor, what are you talking, how can I do that? I grew up with these little ites that are controlling my family. I'm here to tell you today, you have to learn how to wage war against them. You may not have allowed them to live, but friend, that does not mean that you don't have to fight them. Because if you don't, the same ites that took your parents out are going to be the same ones that take you out. And I'm here to tell you today, it does not have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. But you have to learn how to fight and drive them out. Come on. No more ites living and crashing on my couch. No more letting these little ites, these little thoughts, these little addictions, these little friends and these little sayings and this little music I listen to occasionally. No more are you going to let them just reside, even if it's just for a little bit, because I'm here to tell you today, 100% of the time, if you do not deal with them, one day they will deal with you. One day they will deal with you. And you'll find the consequences of letting them stay. Their parents were the ones who left the ites to dwell in the land. And now the children are dealing with the consequences. Just because one generation gave into the ites does not mean that the, ne- that the next generation has to live that way. You don't have to live that way. Just because your parents got a divorce doesn't mean that when you get married, you're going to get a divorce. Just because your parents drink alcohol and don't have a good church life and don't pray and read their Bible doesn't mean you have to live that way. Amen. Those ites will come for you because they, that's how the devil works. He'll tell you, I've got your dad and I'm gonna get you. That's what the devil told me when I started preaching. My dad preached and got heartbroken and hurt and has never preached since. And the devil came to me when I preached my first message and says, you can preach this message, but just like I got your dad, you're going to leave brokenhearted, you're going to leave discouraged, and you're going to leave worse off and bitter than you walked in. But I'm here to tell you today that just because that I got somebody in my family does not mean it's going to get me. Some of you have generational curses that you walk into Thanksgiving and see and you point at and say, that's going to be me one day. But next time you walk in there and you see granny and grandpa drowning in the gym bean, you point at that bottle and you tell the devil, you can have them, but you're not going to have me. You affected my family. You took some of them to the grave. But just because you took them does not mean you're going to take me. The I'd stop here. Praise God. Praise God. I believe it was Dwight D. Eisenhower had a little sign on his desk, his presidential desk, that said the buck stops here. I'm here to tell you tonight, the ite stops here. 
Tell that joker to pick up his futon and to get out of the house before you call the cops. Praise God. I'm here to tell you today, we can't settle for just a weekend. We can't settle for them to stay every month. They've got to go forever and ever and ever. Praise God. Woo. This generation must learn how to fight the ites or you will be enslaved and under the control of something less than you. Something greater than you. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 26 through 28 says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God but turn aside from the way which I command you today. To go after other gods which you have not known. Young person, you have a choice in which one you will live in. The blessing or the curse. That decision's not made once you get your ID. That decision's not made once you can drive by yourself without parent, parental supervision. That decision starts now. Are you going to let those little ites, those little insignificant struggles that you've been justifying for a long time now control you? Are you going to let them reside in your destiny, and your purpose? God has a purpose for each and every single one of you. But I'm here to tell you tonight, you will get detoured by the devil if you allow these lights, to, these little lights to reside. Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at ImpactYM. And remember, you can have as much of God as you want. 